0: Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. Ladies and gents, we have such a special guest on the show today. However, there will probably be adult language on this episode, so if you have little ones around, please use headphones or go into another quiet room. (laughs) And, And with that, let me introduce our special guest. Founder and CEO, Victoria Venturi started her career at the intersection of creativity and business. As a communications and marketing executive, she spent more than 10 years launching successful campaigns for studios, companies, and big brands, including Fox, American Idol, Glee, Disney, Warner Brothers, and Hilton Hotels, just to name a few, no big deal. In 2012, she fell in love with the art of letterpress and literally saw white space in the market. There were many edgy cards but none that combined the elegance of letterpress with the truth of the tongue her vision a beautiful and feminine line of stationery and office goods that could celebrate the humor in life a line of paper that pushed the envelope and didn't need to play by the quote rules that allowed women to say fuck when they needed to and still look insanely chic thus her company paper epiphanies was born Ladies and gentlemen, my dear friend, powerhouse, and brilliant businesswoman, Victoria Venturi.
1: Wow, that was amazing! Thanks, Marin. I'm it's so all excited. you. It's so all nice you, baby pleasure. girl. I haven't like heard it read like that. That was like you should do some like voiceover work. That was impressive. Thanks. That says a lot coming from you. <laughs> um. So, hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, you know, I'm sort of in this intense uh, space of n- new second time motherhood. Uh, so trying to juggle all the things um and i never have my hair washed but other than that <laughs> i'm doing
0: pretty well
1: overrated overrated exactly, right
0: <laughs> um so you have two little ones now and you also have a brand new brick and mortar
1: yeah so we um we have a i wills 5 months now actually so we have a 5 month old a 3 year old and then yeah we opened our brick and mortar in april so three months ago, and we're really excited with the response. We're actually doing a grand opening in August. Because of COVID, we kind of waited to do like any sort of event. Um, But I'm like, I want my damn party. So so we're going to do it in August. But it's been awesome. It's been so great to allow people to come and be part of the brand in person. I think having a wholesale business and having an online business is amazing, but it's it's limiting in terms of your interaction with the end consumer. And it's really, really awesome to be able to to talk to my customers and, and watch them laugh while they read the cards. And it's a whole different type of interaction. So it's been really awesome.
0: What was your impetus in
1: opening the store? I, I sort of feel like we hit a um, you just do it or don't kind of moment. We we 2020 was hard. You know, 90% of our stores were closed, and as a as a company that was you know predominantly wholesale, we didn't have any revenue streams. So you think it's an oxymoron that we'd open a store, but for me, I was like, right now, I could be doing curbside pickup, or I could be doing a variety of other things to interact with my customer. But instead, I'm relying on this you know third party store who's selling my cards to do that work for me. And it kind of really showed me the limitations around just having a wholesale business. And that said, you know our line is profoundly different than most greeting card companies in the industry. In order to get that the true sense of paper epiphanies, you have to be able to be immersed in the brand. Um, when buyers come to trade shows and they walk into our booth, they're like, oh my God, I get it. Like they're immersed in our brand, but there was never an opportunity for the consumer to be immersed in our brand. You know, they'd go into a store and they'd see eight, 10, 20 of our cards maybe, and they kind of get it, but they, but they weren't able to have that full paper epiphanies experience. And so I knew for the last couple of years that I really wanted to do this. And COVID kind of provided the opportunity for me to have the space to step back and reevaluate, like, how can we make this happen in terms of financials and bandwidth, and then also allowed us to negotiate in a way that we probably wouldn't have been able to in non-COVID times. So, I guess I I fucking hate the word pivoted. There's my first F word. I was trying to hold it back. No, I already did one. I already said one in your (laughs) intro. We're good. We broke the ice. (laughs) Every podcast I've ever been on has the E. And now I'm like, it always has to now. Now it's like this bar that I have to maintain that I get the E explicit rating. Um, But no, so I, yeah, I... I just kind of, I kind of went for it, but it was a mitigated risk. I'm, I wish I was kind of a fly by the seat of your pants, girl, but I'm definitely not. <laughs> Everything I do is pretty uh, strategic. And so I, I definitely thought it through, but, but I knew that in order for us to grow in the way that we have the capacity to do so, we would have to have a brick and mortar. And now we do.
0: So I would love to talk about your path from working as a marketing executive to then having this idea, right? And then, I mean, you talk a lot about your brand, your brand, developing your brand, and then now having a successful wholesale direct-to-consumer and brick-and-mortar company. Can you start from the beginning and then walk us
1: through kind of how that played out for you? Totally. Um, I talk a lot about when I meet with people or people ask me for business advice that having a non-linear, a non-linear career is is actually really beneficial. For me, kind of moving to LA to do stand-up comedy and writing, and then becoming a marketing executive and a publicist, that's kind of just given me a lot of different tools in my arsenal. And I I refer to them a lot. And so for people that are kind of in a totally different career path, I think that's awesome. Try to figure out what you've learned in that career and how that can apply to what you're doing now. For me, marketing is something that I do every day. I enjoy it, but a lot of I would say my peers and competitors have other strengths, but marketing is probably not one of them in some some cases. And so I I lean into that. I know that's a strength of mine. I know that I'm a uh, you know, a connector and a brand builder. And so I I I lead with that every day in my business. And as a result, my business is cool as fuck. But no, it is. It is. But but I do that. I've since the beginning, I've thought about what I'm not as a brand. I always tell people if they say, well, I don't know what I am. Well, what aren't you? That's a great place to start. And in the stationary business, there's a lot of what we're not. Um, I was on a podcast a few weeks ago. Um, and I, I said, I think the greeting cards for a long time were liars. And I think that's, it kind of just came out, but I was like, yeah, that's what I've been trying to say for years. Like, you know, we, we were an industry that just was fake you know, we wrote cards that like, kind of like, oh, it's your anniversary. Let's just pretend like we didn't throw a vase at each other last week or like whatever it is, you know, like let's just skip over all these real moments. And instead paper epiphanies is going back and being like, let's talk about the time you threw that thing. Let's get into it. And like, let's talk about those moments that the greeting card industry has been skipping over for the last 50 years. Um, and that's kind of what we do. And I think, highlighting that and leading with our story and being a storyteller is how that marketing has weaved through the business for me. And I continually go back to those skills I learned early in my career in corporate and remind myself that that happened for a reason, the good and the bad. Um, And I try to apply those skills in my business. Um, And the other thing is, I don't think you need to have it all figured out. I think that's part of life. And I continually have to remind myself, like, don't think about the next store that you're opening. Like you just opened one, like enjoy it. Try to live in the moment, like not to be nihilistic or morbid, but like, if something was to happen to me in a couple of years, like you don't want to spend your whole career and your whole life focusing on the end goal. Like you need to just enjoy the moment. I like, I get to come to work and open this beautiful store and sell cards for a living and like, holy fucking shit. How cool is that? Right. So I try to remind myself and I've been doing it a lot more lately. Now that I have young kids, like just live in this moment, just breathe it in and just try to enjoy this. And yeah, you have big goals, which you may or may not hit, but you got to live in the, in this other, this other area too. And I'm guilty of skipping ahead, but I've really been trying to hold myself accountable to, to enjoying just the kind of day to day right now.
0: It's amazing.
1: How are the littles doing? They're good. They're good. Um, you know, I think I, I left a lot of mom guilt behind the first time, which was nice. I, I dealt with a lot of those emotions. And so now when I leave, when I leave Will, when I leave Will um, home with the nanny, it's not so much of a gut wrench. I mean, it's sad, I miss him during the day, but I know that what I'm doing is important and valuable and I, I'm not less of a mother for leaving him. Um, and so I think that with my with my first kid, with my daughter, I had a lot of those feelings of like inadequacy and ba- balancing both. And now I'm like, I got this. I mean, <laughs> there's a whole slew of other things I'm dealing with in terms of being a second time parent. But with that guilt, I think I've I've been able to at least capture capture the control on that a little bit. And, and I'm the one controlling the narrative now about, about spending time with my kids or not. What
0: I love about your cards so much is that, at least from an outsider's perspective, a consumer's perspective, it seems like they're very much influenced by your life and by, you know, the people in your life and what they're going through. So was there a particular moment in your life where you thought, oh, this needs to be captured? Or how did you come out with your first line of cards?
1: Um, That's a great question. I think, The answer, yes, there's definitely been times throughout my whole life where I'm like, I should write this down. I think I've sort of always been a writer, but they say you're not something till you say you are. And so it took me a long time, even after opening my card, starting my card company to call myself a writer. And at the end of the day, that's really what I am. I mean, I'm, I'm a business owner. um, I'm a creative, but the majority of what I do is write. Um, and so I think I've always thought of these kind of funny moments or these things people say, and I'll be like, God, that's, you know, I didn't, now I say that should be a card or that's a good card. But before I think I would just take notes in my phone. Um, but I, I really do, I, I eventually want to write a book, but writing greeting cards is a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> um, and easier and harder in some ways. So, so our, our cards have no page three, which means all of our cards are blank inside which means every, oh, I didn't know that Yeah, every single card we write is blank inside. And so as a result, the entire punchline has to be on the first page, which is actually quite a, um, a challenge as a writer. How do we succinctly say something and get across our message or our joke without having the novelty of opening the card for the punchline or, um, having a novel to write it in? Um, the other thing is I really, I get bored. And so I like that I get to be involved in so many different occasions. I get to be involved in, um, you know, birthdays and holidays and, and um, you know, a variety of, you know, sad moments too. And that's special. That's a gift. And as a, as a novel writer, I don't know if you get to do all those things. So living How many, in that moment. I love that. How many SKUs do you have right now? We have about 450. It's incredible uh, cards in the line and we retire a lot of cards every year too um so you know depending on the year we might add 50 cards and retire 30 so it's always evolving but what is like of those 450
0: SKUs which SKUs how many SKUs keep the lights on
1: good question um well a few of our cards are carried by national retailers right and so Maybe seven, uh, or uh, you know, six-figure cards. I would say, um, and it's funny. Just like with any other creative medium, there's cards that I wrote seven years ago that I'm like, I fucking hate this card. It's the dumbest card ever written. Why are people still buying it? <laughs> you know, but it makes money, so I'm like, oh, I'll keep selling it. Um, but I continually write new new cards because it. Whenever I can always tell when I'm bored with the company or I'm like. God, feeling antsy i realize i haven't done a new release and like it's about time for a new release and then i do a new release of cards and i feel like okay we're still relevant it's still happening like we're still doing things but as a creative i do feel that sense of like hating the things i wrote years ago um and wanting to always improve but but i do i do love that our cards you know we write them and then people add their own message to the inside And then they live on, um, my dad who passed away in 2013, I have probably about 50 or 60 cards from him that I have kept and like, just love. And like, it's, it's what he added to the card, right. That's special. And I love that it's tactile. I recently went back and printed out, uh, emails because my husband and I, when we met all of our love notes were email, like we had, you know, cards kind of we were in this new part of our relationship where he would send me like these funny little like email love note type things. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm going to get locked out of this Gmail account one day and never be able to find these. And so I printed them out in, in in the hopes that they're kind of like greeting cards, but that's the special thing about cards. Like, you know, unless you actively burn them, which you can, which is also very therapeutic, (laughs) (laughs) Um, unless you burn them or throw them out, they're there. Um, and you'll find them in a drawer in five years and, and get to relive that moment in time. And there's something really special about that. So, um, yeah, I love that, that we get to continually do that every day. How is Pete, by the way,
0: this is like the Uh, Pete
1: fan club over here. We live for Pete. (laughs) Pete is good. Um, he's recently expressed a desire to work for the company. Um, this is amazing, which is very, which is quite, uh, the plot twist, um, uh, except the first question he asked was would you be my boss <laughs> and I said okay the fact that you asked that means you're not ready yet because uh yes I would be your boss <laughs> <laughs> obviously so maybe you need to just like let it simmer a little bit till you're okay with that uh sentiment um but no he's always been like uh you know a. I don't have a co-founder but Pete's probably the closest thing to it um Just crazy fan since day one. Like, no, like he and he's a classic Gemini too. So like, anytime we get one sale, he's like, "We're gonna be fucking billionaires." This is. I'm like, Pete. After you subtract rent, the lights, this, 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 we've made zero (laughs) dollars. Like, hello. And he's just like, you know, he's very just like on and off. But um, but yeah, he's a big fan, and and having having that support does make a difference. People always say like, "Oh, well, you could have done it without him," and. I probably could have, but it would have taken me longer to do it and uh, probably less skillfully. You know, having him, his support in a variety of different ways has allowed us to grow in a way that we wouldn't have been able to. Um, so I think, I think a lot of times we undervalue um, spouses or partners in that as business owners, family, it, you know, any kind of support you get, even if it's just emotional, that makes a huge difference for, difference for an entrepreneur. Aside from Pete, what does your support system look like? Um, I think a variety of uh, different things. Um, I have a really great operations manager who's been with me for four years, um, and hiring's tough, um, especially in a business like mine that can have high attrition. You know, if you're, if you're having people that are just doing like packaging or fulfillment or those type of roles, um, and my operations manager is just super loyal and reliable and kind of functioned in a way Um, that I wouldn't have been able to hire for. Like when I had a baby, for example, she kind of was able to just step into a lot of the roles that I do seamlessly. So that's a huge part of of our system. Um, And then, you know, I have um, the privilege, um, which I'm vastly aware of, uh, that privilege to hire help. Um, You know, our nanny who has our son three days a week, um, sometimes four, um, allows me to come into the office and do what I do. And I recently ch- chatted with a woman who can't couldn't afford a nanny. And so she's putting her business in, on hiatus because she has a baby and like, she literally can't do both. And like, that's very real for so many entrepreneurs. And I think having the network that I do have, I, I often think, uh, think on that. And that's part of our core values as a company is to help empower women in business. And I think telling those stories, being honest about the help we have, um, I think, you know lean in the book while polarizing gave us a great example of the amount of wealth and help that Sheryl Sandberg had to, to kind of get where she where she is and you know so I do think about that a lot about kind of the network and the support that I have and how that's enabled me to grow faster um we're starting workshops at the store soon which is really exciting that is and- so cool Uh, Four times a year, we're going to do something called community classes, where we offer completely free workshops, and those are going to be resume building, free childcare, um, things like that, so that people can, um, specifically women, can kind of help grow in their businesses. And that's always been part of our core values, but it's really exciting now to have this brick and mortar where we can actually really kind of engage with those core values and and do these workshops and hopefully help uh, other women who don't have the same privileges and support system that I do at least kind of get a little bit of a bump in their, in their business goals. You do a lot of,
0: at least pre-COVID, um, you do a lot of community work and community outreach and, and speaking and engaging and, and philanthropy. Can you speak to
1: what that part of your business and your world looks like? Totally. Um, I grew up in like a, a, a weirdly like my mom is very religious. Um, and so she was always like, you know, you should tithe 10% to the church, which I think is fucking cray just for the <laughs> record. Um, But this, this concept of like 10% always stuck with me. And um, I've always kind of led with that just in the sense of like, how can I give at least 10% of my wealth and my time and my resources back to doing helping? Um, I think now with the BLM movement, we've we've seen a lot of pushback around like uh, white superiority or people feeling like they're they're more superior because they they go to the junior league, right? Or they or they volunteer and so they feel better about themselves. And so I've I've been really strategically trying to eliminate that element of it and make it not about pride or about for show, but really like just giving back. Um, and I think that work's been really important in my life, figuring out what part of these, this volunteerism am I doing because it makes me feel good. And what part of this volunteerism am I doing because it's actually improving my community. Um, and I, I care a lot about that. Um, I was recently, I was talking to your producer about uh, Portland and, and our, our houseless problem right now. And that's a great example. Portland's a really small city and um, it's very interconnected. And I'm very proud of our city but there's a lot of work to be done. And I think focusing on the work and how I can be a part of the solution is kind of part of how I live my life. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I was a political science major in college. And so I always thought I'd go into politics. Um, but after the dumpster fire of 2020, I realized that I'm not interested in politics at all. Uh, holy shit. <laughs> like no matter where you land on the spectrum, it just seems like a hot mess. And mess. I'm like, I'm good. I will find ways to kind of work around that. Um, and, you know, and try to improve my community in other ways, but, but I definitely, um, now that I have kids, I really want to continue to instill in them that concept and, and just, you know, find ways to, to tell other people's stories, um, and shine light on problems. Um, a friend of mine has been wheelchair bound since she was two years old, good friend of mine. And, she recently shared today that like Delta Airlines damages thousands of wheelchairs a day. And I'm like, this is a problem. Like I'm a, I'm fired up about this. I'm like, I never knew this. Like, first of all, what the fuck are you doing? How how are you like damaging so many wheelchairs? Second of all, like, how did I not know about this problem? Like, there's so many problems like that, which affect, you know, a specific minority of people every day in such a profound way. And then people like myself just go about their life and are worried about their strollers on airplanes, you know, which I've never had a stroller broken. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting to me that there's there's just so many problems to solve. And I hope I hope that we continue to have people that are there to help solve them.
0: Where does this incredible self-awareness come from? Have you always been like this? I don't know why am I? This? I, don't <laughs> I, I it seems like it. It's, I mean, as your friend, but also as, I mean- you're one of my dearest friends, but let's be honest, we're both running like massive, you know, companies. So we're doing our own thing. And then when we come together, it's like, no, time has passed. And like, you were to call me at four in the morning and be like, meet me somewhere. I'd be like, great, I'll see you yesterday, right? Like, but but I think that the beautiful thing about our relationship and our friendship is that there's still so much to learn. And so as long as I've known you, you have seemed to be very self-aware, but even seeing you, you know, become a mother twice over and opening up your store and all of the ups and downs that the pandemic brought us, it just seems like you're so hyper aware. And so I'm just curious if that's something that was, you know, instilled in you from a young age, or if you feel like it's something that maybe was nurtured in your adulthood and in your professional and maternal life. Yeah. I
1: mean, I've touched on it a little bit. I think, again, I've probably fared well uh, fared better than a lot of children, but I did have like, you know, um, someone of a broken childhood and, you know, divorced parents a couple of times over type of stuff. And so I think I did have, le- had to learn how to advocate for myself at a young age, um, and was kind of very independent at a young age in a lot of regards. And so I think I felt really old for a long time. I think at like 25, I was like, I'm 107. <laughs> like, I hit this, I hit this name. Th- like I was just like I'm so old and tired and and jaded and angry. I had a lot of anger in my 20s about a lot of things. I think my independence and my strength came off as anger um, when I was younger, and that has been something that's been brought to my attention, um, you know, decades ago. Um, but I think now, pushing closer to 40, I uh, I'm more aware of kind of that and where that comes from, and and knowing my strengths and. Um, talking, I think talking and and writing and being a storyteller helps other people. And I remind myself of that a lot. Like if this feels awkward to talk about, or if I've learned something, I'm sure someone else could learn it too. And and is maybe interested in learning it. And so I've, I've kind of just started to talk and tell my story regardless of, uh, of, you know, judgment or whatever. I just kind of, kind of do my thing, I guess. I don't know. Um, But I, I appreciate that sentiment. I think makes me feel good to think that I'm, becoming more self aware to your point we all have a lot to learn um i have a 17 year old employee who is running our tiktok currently <laughs> and i amazing I'll tell, what, I'll tell you what i have a lot to fucking learn okay first of all i did not look like that at 17 let me tell you uh, second of all like i i think i have a decent like grasp on like coolness and like I do not. I do not. I am a for, for sure. Geriatric millennial. That is, that is a fact. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I also, I love to learn uh, recently Pete and I were talking about winning Powerball and he's like, what would you do if you won Powerball? And I was like, I'd go back to school. And he goes, what? <laughs> That's <laughs> not in the business plan. He goes, I'd buy a Ferrari. And I was like, well, I, I, like if I just had all the time and money, I just feel like I just want to go learn more things. And he's like, that is, that awful. <laughs> so hopefully we don't win Powerball because clearly we have very different priorities when it comes to like time, freedom and financial independence. But, um, no, but I do, I, I, I love the thought that the our life is ahead of us and we have a lot to learn. I love that.
0: I can't get Pete in a Ferrari out of my head. That's like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. So I want to go back to when you moved to LA, you went to be an actor and a stand up comedian. And that just blows my mind. What did you learn in that process that you feel has pulled into your stationary line?
1: Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was just cleaning out our closet, which has become one of my really fun hobbies now cause I can hide from my children. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm doing work. I'm just in the closet on my phone, like doing nothing. Like Peter, I'm very busy. Take the children. I'm organizing the closet, <laughs> hiding. Uh, <laughs> and I found this paper that was like, congratulations, your role on Desperate Housewives has qualified you for your SAG card. And I was like, just laughing. Um, yeah, I think, well, the first thing is it's really fun to talk about it now because for a long time in LA, once you leave the industry in quotes, or like you're not acting anymore, you don't really talk about it because it's like dirty. Like as a marketer and a publicist in LA, I couldn't be like I used to try to act. They'd be like you're you're crazy. Like you can't like you don't talk about it, right? Like once you right. stop doing it, it's just like never happened. Um, I always joke about that now in Portland because I'm thinking about doing a stand up like a, like an open mic night and. Yeah. I'm (laughs) so here for this. All these things that you're planning,
0: I would please like invitations. I know I'm across the country now, but I would love to fly in for these things.
1: Yes. Um, but it's just fun to think like, oh, I could do this as a hobby. Like in Los Angeles, like there's no hobbies. Like, you know, you don't like do stand up for a hobby. Like someone would be like, okay, A, you suck. And B like, what are you trying to be famous? Like, what do you, do you need an agent? Like, why are you doing stand up? Like, what do you mean you're doing it for fun? What do you mean? What do you mean? Like, you know, there's, there's none of that. So all that, all that said, I think, um, I think had I never tried acting or stand up, I went to performing arts high school, I was um, a double major in political science and theater in college. So I always had this performance role um, in my life. I think I had to give it a shot, you know? Um, which I don't really think I did. I think I was too type A and I was like, wait, I get to go on like two auditions per week. This is dumb. I'm out like peace. Like, I don't know. Like I did it for like a year and a half and I was like, I am not being utilized to my fullest potential and I'm gone. You guys snooze, you lose. (laughs) Like I'm out. Um, But no, I think, you know, uh, I loved my time I spent in LA. I was there for a decade in my twenties. I met my husband there. We had a ton of fun. We had no kids we also had no savings and no real life plan. That's okay. Another, another podcast, another day. Totally. Just, just a dream of a Ferrari <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just winning Powerball. Yeah. Just a dream of a Ferrari and a master's degree. And we were just living the life. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. But yeah, no, we just, you know, it was, it was a really fun moment in time. And I think it's that experience has definitely colored my perspective on writing and life and, and also, just like dreams, I think we have this very nihilistic view of dreams, very black and white thinking. Like, oh, so you didn't accomplish your dream, right? Like, well, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. You know, I would, I would say that my dream evolved. Um, I get to write for a living now and make people laugh for a living, which is kind of like stand up, right? Um, but I don't have to like get on stage and be like sexually harassed or mocked, which is really nice. <laughs> Uh, that's a really nice benefit to writing cards benefits <laughs> yeah totally perks <laughs> um, but um I think yeah I think my dream evolves, and I think we need to talk more about that as women and as entrepreneurs um that it, it's always evolving and what you wanted might not be what you want anymore it's not about you not getting something like uh, the life I have now, I really love, and I'm and I'm I'm learning to appreciate the day to day. And I don't know if I'd want to go back in time and become an actress, whatever that looks like or means. And so I think, I think we need to normalize that sense of like changing your mind, changing your dreams, changing your path, and like that that doesn't make you a failure. It makes you, you know, have more experience, have more depth. Like to my point earlier of having a non linear career. I love the idea, in my mind of of having my company for 10 more years and selling it, not just for the Ferrari, but, but, uh, but for the, for the, for the sense that, wow, I could be, you know, 46 or 47 and have a whole nother career ahead of me or a whole nother life to experience. Like that's exciting to me. And I think, I, I just think that I really admire, um, there's a book that we carry in the shop called older women doing extraordinary things. And it's all women in their fifties and older who have done something new or started something or accomplished something and i just love that sense of you know not focusing on the finite amount of life but just the amount of life in your years and that you can do a lot of different things i think that's really cool and that's kind of my my take on my la time like i moved there to be an actress became a publicist and a marketer then started this greeting card line and now we're here right but who knows where we're going to be next and we don't have to know that. And that's all part of the dream. So.
0: I love that. My sister's seven years younger and in her mid twenties now, but just kind of watching her and being so much older and watching her go through graduating college and finding a job and the pressure that young people feel to have things figured out or to marry your purpose and your passion and your job and all the stuff. It's like, when did living go out the door? When did, I mean, it's right. about, like, you will never have it figured out.
1: Totally. Right? And Living think, is figuring it out. Right. And I think as entrepreneurs, at least speaking for myself, you become distinctly connected to your job in a way that it, it validates your self-worth. And that's really dangerous. Um, you know, when I worked for corporate, I didn't give a shit. I'm like, I'm getting my manicure. I'm getting the manicure at lunch, bitch. I'm out. I'm out. And if like I had a bad day at work, I'd be like, Pfft fuck the man. Like my boss sucks. Like, or whatever, you know, like, yeah. I never felt like my, you know, I tried to do my best at work, but I never felt like my self-worth was on the line if the company didn't do well. But as an entrepreneur, you don't have that ability and that, you know, um, gift to step back because it's your company. And so there's a ton of pressure. And for me personally, I feel like, oh, if I have a great day at work, like I feel better about myself. And if I have a bad day at work, I feel worse about myself. And that's, you know, that, that is the danger. I think as an entrepreneur that we, that we grapple with every day, how do we separate our success in business from our personal self-worth? How do we know that even though we've kind of married what we do for a living, don't get me wrong. There's still days where I don't want to fucking come to work. Like it's still work, right? Like writing greeting cards can get old too. Like, okay. It's greeting cards, people like. <laughs> No, but like, I mean, you know, you see the the rosy part of it, but it's still a job. And it is kind of uh, an uphill battle sometimes to remind myself, like, if you decide to do something else, you're still just as valuable and just as worthy. And, you know, if you fail at this task, like it doesn't mean you're less of a person, but it is very hard as an entrepreneur to separate those two things. And I think... We don't talk about that enough either um we talk about the ups and downs of entrepreneurhood but not like what who are you outside of work because who i am is so much about paper epiphanies and i have to remind myself as a mother and as a wife like what else am i what else do i enjoy and how would i describe myself outside of paper epiphanies and so i think actually talking about myself as a writer has been helpful to me because that applies to any job, right? I can be a writer anywhere, doing anything. A business owner as my identity is harder because that means I own a business and that's my identity. Not that your identity should be about your job anyway, but I think just even picking something like, you know, something that's more of a skill and removing the, you know, when I talk about myself as a writer, it's, it's comforting to me to think that I could go and do this for somebody else And still be valuable and not, you know, not tie it all up in my company. Um, because it's scary sometimes. That's so relatable. I wonder if
0: that is. I'm doing some self-reflection myself in listening to you speak, but I wonder if that's why when people ask me what I do, it's I very it's very difficult for me to say I'm a jewelry designer. Because to me, to be a designer, you're an artist. Like you are your art. And so for me, I try and have this separation with the brand a little bit to kind of Maintain my sense of self. To your point, yeah. But then I also do this game just to kind of—it's morbid, but it's also I think it's helpful for me to kind of gain perspective of like if everything were to blow up tomorrow, like what would you do? What would you become? You know, like would you rebuild this from the ground up, or would you try something else? And um, I think it's so important for business owners, especially when you are, you know, the trailblazer, or if you are the face of your brand, as we both are, to to have that conversation with yourself and to have that identity outside of your, outside of your work, because
1: it's really easy to get wrapped up in it. Totally. And I, I had, I was during COVID, I was like making a statement one time and I was like, yeah, maybe I should just sell it all. And my girlfriend said, no, you're my cool friend. And it was this weird moment where I was like, am I your cool friend? Because I'm cool or am I your cool friend? Because I own this cool company and that's why I'm your cool friend. And she's a great friend of mine. She didn't mean it like as a slight, but it was interesting in the sense that like, she was identifying me as cool in that moment because I owned a company and not for who I was. Um, And there is that, I think in networking and community, you do play a role, but you, but you play the role that you tell, you know, I, I ghostwrite for a lot of other card companies like big card companies that that are in grocery stores around the country and a that's another way to diversify my revenue stream but b it's also a reminder to me like fuck i go out tomorrow and write cards for a living like i don't have to deal with all this recycling <laughs> yeah. and all this shit fucking guys i'm gonna go right ghost right for other people and just make money and not have to deal with hr shit um but no, I think to your point, like maybe it's you're calling yourself a designer, whatever it is, like it just, I think for me, it gives me this, that perspective of, uh, you know, future opportunities um, and maybe a reminder of where I would like to go. Um, I think we can, as, as a writer, you know, I, I know other writers, uh, they, some, some very successful writers. Uh, and there is this sense of like, I'm, I'm in the room with real writers, right? Like real, like they write real things. And then, then you get back to that same, that same self-awareness, like, okay, well, what does that mean? Cause you've only written a short card. Well, how many times have you guys been published? Cause I have 456 pieces of published <laughs> work out in the world right now. You have two fucks stuck on that. You know, I mean? <laughs> you can look at it a million different ways. Um, but yeah, I do. I, I would love, I would love a mastermind in how to find your identity outside of, the company you own let's I do think. it should we should we make that a workshop should we do do like a, uh, you, heard, you heard it here first
0: folks on mary and Costello. Radio. <laughs> so what does
1: the future of paper epiphanies look like um let's see i i lead with the uh the sentiment of first to market i think in terms of you know, there's always copycats. There's always going to be people out there that are trying to do what you do, but first to market's a big thing. Our store is the most unique greeting card store in the world right now. That's a fact, like, look it up. Okay. Uh, And so there's this sense of like, I want to get this out there further. We're looking at another space right now in the Portland area, but I would love to continue to expand and not just for like global domination, which of course is an awesome like side perk, but, but more so because I, I do want to expand the footprint to other cities so people can experience what we're doing but also so that we kind of become that disruptor in the industry we we've, we've we've always been a disruptor but now that we have a brick and mortar presence, at a time when stores like paper source, you know just filed for bankruptcy. We're seeing a lot of shift in the industry. The number one greeting card buyer is millennial, followed by Gen Z. Boomers are, you know, soon to be dead. But just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> but, but, um, no, but we've definitely seen a skew to a lot younger buyers. They're very self-aware. Speaking of self-aware, um, they know what they want, and they want paper epiphanies. <laughs>
0: uh appreciate quality they appreciate the tactile things i mean i even see that with my buyers as well like they want something that's going to last for a long time something that's meaningful something that makes them feel good something that they can give to someone as a gift like they i get it i
1: totally get it and something that you know reminds them of them like there's nothing more alienating than standing in front of a mother's day run of 642 cards at a walmart and you're like really they're not one fucking card here can speak to the relationship I have with my mom. There's 600 cards on this wall. Like how, like that's alienating. And, and they're I'm, all variants like, of the same thing. Exactly. And I think that people come into our shop and they're all, they, they often say, Oh my God, I just want everything. Or like, I, I literally like which of these seven birthday cards, like they're all perfect, but like, which one do you think? Like, That feeling where they find too much, where too much speaks to them is awesome. And I want to keep finding ways to replicate that. And so, yeah, I want to keep, I want to keep finding gaps in our industry. There's a lot of gaps, uh, a ton of subjects haven't been touched on in the greeting card industry still. And I want to be the niche store. I want to be the store where you come in. If you don't see the card on the wall, you say, Hey, I have a stepmom. She's crazy. What card can I give her? Hold on. Let me, let me, let me, let me help you with that. And we have a ton of cards that aren't even on our wall for, you know, miscarriage, loss, babies in the NICU, things like that. And it's like, how can we continue to normalize these different experiences in life and these different relationships? And so, yeah, we're just going to keep telling more stories and hopefully open more stores. And then maybe one day Pete will get his Ferrari.
0: <laughs> one can dream. One can right? hope. Exactly. How do you deal with, because you are such a trailblazer in the industry and truly before, I mean, you and I met years ago, I think I still had long hair in San Francisco, shout out Catwalk SF <laughs> for introducing us. Um, but when, when I first met you, there was nothing like yours on the market and now I'm seeing variants of it. So how do you deal with plagiarism and people knocking you off? Is it like, oh, that's a compliment or do you actually like take legal
1: action? Um, I would say both. Uh, oftentimes I can tell things are inspired by me. Like someone will start following me on Instagram, six months later, they'll come out with a card and like, it's sort of a variation on one of our cards, but not enough where you could do anything legally. And maybe the person doesn't even realize they're being influenced by my style. Maybe they're very aware they are. And then there are times when I've had, you know, competitors, peers that I know that like literally rip off word for word like the first half of one of our best-selling cards. And then it's like, okay, now you get a cease and desist. And, but at the end of the day, if in our industry, people want to copy you, like, are you really going to get an attorney and go after them for like the 720 cards they're going to sell? Like, you know what I mean? Like, especially for a small brand, probably not, but it's still shitty. Um, and I think I had moments that I had someone in, my, in our industry copy my website word for word on their website. No. Yeah. Someone I know well. And I called her out and she told me she was using it as a placeholder until she wrote her own copy. Mm, that, no, that's what? What? Are you kidding me? Like, so I've had like some serious things like that happen. Um, and you just kind of have to like keep creating. I mean, yeah, I've never like gone through, like, I, I threaten people though, because they know that I'm crazy on social. Like, that I'll get on there and like listen, <laughs> you have two options desist or I'm going to get on social media and blow your ass up like and I'll do it <laughs> <laughs> I've never had to do that um but I do think the more I focus on it I get more into the spiral and it's unhealthy and I have to just like I think it's better for me when I just like don't focus on it and try to like just continue to create cards and and do my thing and like, I'm sure like in five years, someone's going to come out with a store that like is a rip off of mine. And I'm going to have to like, I'll probably will school them on social and be like, mm. I'll be like splurged, save. <laughs> <laughs> so, But but yeah, I think, I do think, um, I think it's, it's valuable to call, to, to reach out to someone. I've had a number of people be like, oh my God, I didn't know your card existed, whether they're truthful or not, or I I didn't realize, but now I see what you're saying and they would move it. So a lot of times people are willing to just like be amicable and like take something down. Um, I had a lot of people on Etsy that I've had to do. I'm not not on Etsy, but people will um, just blatantly like our exact font, like my handwriting on like a shirt. And I'm like, what? And like, I have to like get Etsy legal and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think you just kind of have to like continue to create and move forward and let them be the people to come after you. Like let them be the second person to do it. Fine, you weren't the first, you won't be the last. But um, a lot of my peers, that the ones that are ripping me off don't have brands. They have like funny card lines that sell some places, but like they're not brands. So like, come at me, it's fine. I dare you. You
0: talked earlier about streams of revenue. And I think it's a very, I want to open up this conversation because it's a very real thing, especially when we, when you see companies that have moved through the pandemic and are here on the other side, not, I mean, are we really over it? I don't even know what's going on in the world, but um, I would like to talk about all the different streams of revenue that you have, because it's very real that, you know, on a moment's notice, you can lose, like you said, 90% of your, of your, clientele because stores aren't opening. So what do those streams of revenue look like for you?
1: Um, So we have a variety of uh, revenue streams. We have wholesale, which was kind of prior to 2020, 96% of our revenue, uh, which is where we sell our greeting cards to other stores at a wholesale price. And then they resell them at a retail price. Um, You know, chains like Urban Outfitters and Paper Source, uh, large national partners like that, all the way down to like the small mom and pop shops that you see on, you know, main streets around the country. And oftentimes those stores are more uh, loyal than the big stores. I mean, they consistently reorder, you know, for seven years. And when you, now that I own a store and I know what a budget's like and how much you have to spend to know these stores have been ordering for me every month for seven years is like very endearing. Um, and and I appreciate that so much. So I think we can't, we can't discount the small shops either. And then we have our online, um, direct to consumer, which is our website where we sell. Now we have our brick and mortar shop where we sell um, cards as well as books and gifts at a retail price. Um, and then our licensing arm, which is uh, essentially where I ghost write. So I write a line called Paper Rebel, uh, which is produced by American Greetings. And that is sold in you know Target and Rite Aid and a variety of um, Winn-Dixies, different stores around the country. And then I also ghost write uh, for papyrus and bird and quill and American greetings, core lines. Um, and that's another whole revenue stream there. Um, and that's nice. Cause I just get to write the cards and then I don't have to worry about anything else. Although sometimes when I see the cards, I'm like, but my name's not on, it doesn't matter. Right? <laughs> no. Um, How do you choose which, which
0: cards go in your line versus your, the companies that you go straight for?
1: Um, That's a good question. I think it's a combination. Um, For paper rebel, there is some overlap in tone for papyrus and paper paper epiphanies. There's absolutely zero overlap in tone. So it's like very obvious that like this card that says like, you're a fun guy with mushrooms on it is not for paper epiphanies. (laughs) 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 Um, But for the other companies uh, that have similar overlap, uh, it's kind of a, sometimes I'll write things and they'll pass. They'll say, oh, we don't, we're not going to take this card and I'll make it. And it'll be like fire. And I'm like, huh, Dumbasses, it's fire um, but other times I'll write a card that I just love so much I know that I won't give it up um, and I'll keep it for myself but I think when I'm writing for the two it's very different like when I'm writing a line for pa- a card for paper epiphanies I can envision what it's going to look like I'm involved in the entire process sometimes even the way I space the words and the words I use are connected to the design and so it's much different than ghostwriting where I just send a word document of 500 cards that I wrote and I'm like pick six or whatever it is, you know, it's right. It's much more an exercise in writing. But as a writer, it's great that I get to use this whole other skill set of writing really sweet cards or really sanguine cards or cards that mes- might not necessarily be paper epiphanies cards. But that skill of being able to write on demand is also very um, beneficial. I think a lot of times designers, artists, creatives, there's this thing called like writer's block, right, or um, a creativity block, which I've read a lot about this whole concept and how in some regards, it's kind of bullshit. Because if you are a creative that's getting paid to write greeting cards, like there's no writer's block, girl. You wake up and you write greeting cards and you send them in and you get paid. Like you have to find a way to work around that. And a lot of times as creatives, we allow that sentiment to be a crutch for us when actually we need to learn to just produce regardless. It might not be your best work, but you have to continue to work. And so I think- Ghost writing has been a great skill for me in that regard where when I have a deadline and I have to submit and usually it's between 100 and 200 cards, multiple every other month I mean it's I'm, re, I'm writing thousands of cards now, they're not all becoming cards but I'm writing thousands of potential cards you know that are that are then cho- chosen from but to write at that volume has, has taught me that you just keep producing. you just make bad shit sometimes right you, some, some days you make great art, some days you don't. But if you allow yourself to wait for the moment to hit you, you're never gonna make work or you're gonna make one thing per year and that's not gonna get you anywhere either. So you have to learn to w- work through those you know, creative blocks.
0: That's wild. I had no idea that you were producing cards at that volume. How many cards do you think you have in your back pocket for the paper epiphanies line? Like how many like give or take do, are you like, if, if I wanted to, if there was no limit, I could come out with X amount.
1: Like tomorrow, probably like 800. That's incredible. Like, I mean, I have notebooks full of cards that we just haven't made for a variety of reasons. Like they're too offensive or like they're too popular. <laughs> you know, um, that kind of thing. Um, I always say I want to do like a series called like the cards we didn't make and just like, you know, do them. But we have, um, we also have a, a distributor a partnership with a national um, salesperson who sells to 900 sex stores. Amazing. So that is another big, big revenue stream for us. And those cards are some cards that no one will ever see. We do some uh, aftermarket extra dirty cards for that company. Um, but it's fun, you know, it's fun to, to have these different revenue streams for people to, to know or not know things that we've written that I've written, it's fun to go into. So for Father's Day, for example, losing my dad. I didn't write Father's Day cards for like three years because I was like, I don't want to. Fuck it, and I never offered them. People were like, How come you don't have Father's Day cards? And I was like, Because I don't want to have Father's Day cards. <laughs> company not ready yet. <laughs> no, um, but speaking of wor- working through that, you know, <laughs> that wasn't a creative block so much as an emotional block. Um, but you know, I really wanted to write some super sappy, sanguine cards because I had a really great relationship with my dad. And I wrote the Father's Day uh, cards for Papyrus last year, um, and that was really awesome because a lot of the cards they took were cards that I couldn't put in paper epiphanies. They don't make sense, but they're just like OTT love cards for Dad. And I'm like, yes, like I've wanted to write these cards, and that they don't live in my line. But it's but it was therapeutic to write those those sentences and those sayings, and it was rewarding that I know somebody out there received that card for Father's Day.
0: I love that what would you, what advice would you give to someone who would want to get into the greeting card industry today or
1: tomorrow? Um, have a distinct, you know, perspective, whether that's visually. Um, I was at a trade show a couple years ago when I saw someone doing like all cards where they like collage paper and then like scanned that. So it was like all collage. It was very cool, like different, like, I don't know, you know, if they were successful or not, but It was something I hadn't seen. And so much of the greeting card industry is stuff you've seen. The same joke, the same type of writing, the same lettering, the same perspective. Like if you wanna create a greeting card company that empowers women and that's funny, well, one exists already, that's fine. You can do you, but like, do you? Like, what does that look like? What does that mean? How can you bring and add value? I think that's true to any business, Um, but paper epiphanies is, is, you know, in an industry that is extremely saturated, and so we have to continue to add value.
0: One of the questions that
1: we ask on all of our
0: shows is, "What does self care mean to you, and how do you self care?"
1: God, someone asked me this the other day, and I was like, "It was awful." I was like, <laughs> um, I, drink, "I drink a lot of caffeine alone in my closet." Perfect! <laughs> You're like, I reorganize in my closet on a daily basis. Um, that could be your self-care I wish but like I just hide in there um which I guess <laughs> is um you know to be honest I like I, I right now I'm actually in an intuitive eating workshop um which is you know requiring more work which is kind of feeling like like more like work and less like self-care but it is self-care and then I carve out that time for myself I take those hours and I um try to figure out how to um be healthier like I feel like my whole life I've I've done things um I'm like a big rule follower so I'll be like and today we're doing no carbs and today we're doing net you know keto or we're doing this or we're doing whole 30 and um instead of just like living and so I'm trying to find more ways in my life to just like you know what I get a pedicure every week I don't do this but I'm saying like finding ways where this is just part of who I am and and less about like now it's about me, like just finding a way to have balance in my life. Um, going back to that black and white thinking, let's just find finding ways to take a moment for myself. That's, you know, part of part of my daily, you know, practice and not so much just like a novelty. I also think the fact that we, um, as moms, like hygiene is considered self-care is bullshit because like my husband, like I've been watching him like as an exercise when he wants to go to the bathroom, he just goes like, he'll just like put the kid down, like in the middle of the the rainforest and he just go to the bathroom. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. Someone hold the bottle. Who's going to watch the baby. Can you pee? Can you hold the baby? I have to pee. Can you, can you, and I'm like, he just leaves. Like he doesn't. And like the kids are fine. I think, but like (laughs) every day he showers and I like resent it, but he like literally just wakes up and like, just goes and showers. Like he doesn't like worry if someone's crying and I'm like god that's so fucking badass like you just shower if <laughs> you want to and then I'm like what the hell like I have to like schedule it in and like it's just like this I don't know I just like we have allowed moms to be like oh do you need a moment to yourself do you want to go shower it's like that that's that should be a right okay I, I, I don't care. um but I guess to your question I, um I struggle with it I'm trying to to be better at it I think um I'm planning a few trips later this year um, that are kind of work and kind of play. Um, I'm going to go to New York and do some buying for the shop for holiday um, without my children. And that is going to be work, but also (laughs) self-care. So yeah. But if you have any tips, let me know.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm forever learning. I honestly, when I put lipstick on, I'm like, everything else just fades away. I think lipstick is...
1: Lipstick looks so good on you. When I wear lipstick, I literally look like a clown like it's no kind of way bad. yeah because I'm too like olive and it's like and I've I've tried it's we're gonna
0: so- find you the perfect shade no no okay.
1: this is my new project now this okay. is my Wait, new hobby I it. okay
0: I love it people be like just wear
1: this neon coral and I'm like what and like I just it's just bad no so how can we support you and where can we find you off of this show um, so paper is where you can find all of our cards. If you're not in Portland, if you're in Portland, uh, our brick and mortar is in the Clinton neighborhood and it's the hashtag coolest card store in the world. So definitely check it out. Um, and then I'm on Instagram, Victoria P Venturi. And I've recently just started sharing like stories from my life and like pictures I like, and I've stopped curating it and I've just made it kind of like a fun shit show, but I think it's a lot more real and I'm, I'm here for it. So if you want to know me personally, that's where to find me. That's amazing.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here today. I love I always love chatting with you and learning more about you. And I'm I just cannot Hello. wait till we're reunited in person again. I know. I know a trip. Well, my heart is so full. Huge thank you to Victoria for taking the time to share her story. Another thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and to our producers at Island City Media Group. If you want to listen to this show again, you can find all of our episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Remember to leave a review so we can continue bringing you the content and guests that you absolutely love. Lastly, you can find me offline on Instagram at Marin Costello and Marin Costello Radio. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Have a great weekend and we will see you next week.